everybody, welcome to the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs, an exclusive home of Cubs checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. And as a reminder, we're available on all podcast platforms, so be sure to rate and subscribe. I'm Andy Martinez here at Sloan Park. There's a minor league game going on, and I'm joined by one of the one of my favorite guys on the beat, Jordan Bastion. Jordan from MLB.com, thanks for joining us. No problem. You nailed that intro, man. I, I got it on the first take. First That's a take. rarity. I think it's because you're here. Yeah, I'm proud of you, man. Thank you. Bringing I, your A game today. I appreciate it. But we didn't come here to talk about me getting takes right on the first time. We came here to talk a little Cubs baseball, a little yeah. spring training. So I want to ask you, you've been here all spring, mostly all spring. Mm-hmm. What have been your main takeaways from, from Cubs camp, from what you've seen here, uh, here in Arizona? I mean – the main one is just it's it's all business under David Ross. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they do their little the little golf contest in the morning and they do have fun, but um, you know, it's just been it's been a really businesslike camp. I think Patrick Mooney uh, said boring starts here or something like yeah. that. It's been kind of boring, but in a good way. In that yeah. businesslike, they're here to work. They're here to to make sure that they're taking things seriously. That's been the first main takeaway here, um, and then the other big one is just. I think we're really starting to see that mix of veterans and the younger group, but the younger group that's going to impact that major league team. And I've really, you know, just from teams I've covered in the past and things, I do like this dynamic of like uh, the very experienced top layer with this younger layer that is going to start infiltrating into the big leagues and making an impact. I think it's, you're starting to really see that here. And and the, the veterans that you mentioned that were brought on, I mean, it's not like it's, you know, it's a veteran on the talent of his career type of thing, right? These are guys who have some hardware, and, right. and that's, got, that's got to be valuable for the young guys. Yeah, I mean, there are, don't get me wrong, some reclamation project types sure, in there. Sure, There's sure. a lot of uh, guys that they really need the best-case scenarios to hit, but they've all been through such a wide array of career experiences that I think one thing I was talking to Jan Gomes about earlier this spring was that no matter what anyone goes through in that room, uh, as a young player, a middle-tier player, a veteran, there's someone else in that room who's gone through the same thing or some similar version of it. Right. So there's going to be someone in that room on the pitching side, catching side, hitting side, outfield position players, in uh, infield. There's going to be someone who's gone through whatever that player's going through, and that that is very valuable for a team that's – trying to grow together and get through a long season and trying to come out of this rebuild and and take this season more seriously from the jump right and and that's I mean, you mentioned but it's not something that necessarily was there last year especially right we talk about the second half success that the team had but it was there wasn't that that veteran presence that really kind of for lack of a better term could, could, could rein things in or could help a young guy if there's some struggles there wasn't that last year that that is here this year no or there was the threat of a trade removing that from the equation right, right. you know you do talk to Brandon Hughes and he talks about how much he learned under David Robertson and and uh, even Richard, uh, Norris and Martin and all these relievers Michael Givens he really speaks highly of what he learned but he came up in May and they were gone by the end of July. Right. So he had this short window to really learn from these veterans. Or Wilson Contreras really took Christopher Morel under his wing, and that ends up being a full season learning uh, from a veteran situation, being a mentor. But he didn't know it was going to be. No. He thought, I got to be this mentor until they trade me. Right. You know, and I think there's hopefully for this group that when you get to the trade deadline, the idea is that it will be more addition. You know, how can we supplement and have a good team to build down the stretch and make a push? Hopefully they're in that position. So I don't think you also, while that was there last year, that threat made a difference that these guys knew, like, I might not be here the whole year. Right. And and 
we're going to get more into, you know, what the season will, will play right. out. We'll get later into the podcast on that. But I do want to talk about another thing that has been kind of a story. Not kind of. It has been a storyline this yeah. spring training is some of these rule changes, right? The banning of the shift. Yep. The pitch clock. What have you been take? What have you? What have your takeaways been from that? And, and what's kind of if, if a fan who hasn't been maybe following too closely in spring training, what what do you think the biggest takeaway will be uh, from these new rule changes? Well, I think the big one obviously is time of game. Yeah. Uh, I think we've all noticed that. Uh, even those games that feel long, you look at the end, you're like, oh, it was 2:45. Like <laughs> I'm I'm still going home in a reasonable hour. I think that's going to make a big difference for fans, um, whether you're at the game or you're at home watching the game yeah I think it's gonna people are gonna be more inclined to be locked in on the game so that's been my biggest takeaway I think I saw the average spring training game time is down 20 30 minutes yeah. from a year ago yeah I believe that was it that's yeah. wild yeah that's you insane. know so I think that's really cool to go into it the shift thing I don't think we've really noticed too much this spring just because it's gonna be the regular season where you're more locked into oh, this guy used to get shifted in a certain way. And also the shift is gone in certain ways, but not totally gone. Like you can still shift your shortstop way up the middle Mm -hmm. to that line and have some of that stuff in play. So that one I don't think is going to be necessarily as glaring or noticeable as we maybe thought it would be. Right. Um, So I think that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But overall, I think the intention of these rule changes you know, I can be a little bit of a fuddy-duddy sometimes and traditionalist and, yeah. you know, some of that stuff. And, you know, I don't like to run around in extra innings. And, you know, there's certain things where I can be, uh, you know, kind of yelling at clouds on things. But I think overall the intent behind these rules is to get it back to the version of the game that I grew up watching and loving. I love hearing Theo Epstein talk about that, that it's like, yeah, sometimes you have to make changes to get the game back to the version that we all love, which is right. – action-packed more balls in play so i'm really curious to see how this season goes because so far it seems like they're they're good changes yeah and i mean it, it, you're right there's there's some games where i'm like wow this is taking a while and you look up and it's like well it's, it's actually only been two and a half hours yeah. like there's been there were plenty of games last year in the regular season in spring training that you know this is taking a while and you're, you're approaching four hours which yeah it's, it's some don't get me wrong some of those four-hour games were definitely entertaining and there's a lot going on but a lot of times it was you know, hey, this could have been sped up if, if, if things would have, if, if we had a pitchcock, if there was things going on. And that's that's really the beauty of the game that, that that's bringing on in that sense. Yeah, I think so. And I just think for people who are still kind of like, oh, I'm not sure. Why do they got to make all these rule changes? Just wait. Give it time. Yeah. See how it plays out. See if you even notice some of this stuff. Right. I remember being kind of anti the three batter minimum for relievers when oh, they I first announced big it. anti three. big anti yeah and then you know what i'm in like it's may or june and i'm like you know i haven't even really noticed yeah. and they're, they're like how many times was there a specific instance where that would became a glaring thing uh, with the decision making like yeah there are games where it comes into play and you go oh okay you can see the strategy here and there but really on the whole over 162 games it didn't happen so often that I even really noticed it as yeah. a big deal. And so I think a lot of things, like the shift thing, I was kind of anti getting rid of the shift, but I'm kind of, you know what, let me see how this plays out. Let me see how glaring it is. And I think at the end when fans are noticing just the brisk pace of this game, I think they're going to love it. Yeah, and and it's funny because one of the earlier moments in camp was when Team Canada played the Cubs. Right. And in the WBC, they were shifting a lot. And Cody Bellinger went up to bat, and they shifted on him. And he hadn't noticed that there was no shifting, just kind of like you mentioned. I, like, oh, I mentioned, minute. and he's like, "Wait, what's what's the guy doing behind the pitcher?" Like he was right. he was so taken aback that I think that's going to be the case for a lot of fans, right? Yeah. Where it's going to be like, "Oh my gosh!" Like I didn't even notice that that, yeah. that was happening. And, and again, to be clear, like 
there can still be a defender sort of behind the pitcher. Yes, yes. I think the bigger issue is going to be that guy that was kind of roving in shallow outfield. You will notice that that's gone. Right. But you know what? That's more hits in, into shallow right mm -hmm. for Cody Bellinger and for right. some of these guys. And so I think that's going to be huge. Uh, the interesting thing I think I heard Nico Horner talking about was he was used to just setup-wise kind of starting on the grass like sure. that was his natural moving into to the ball on, on plays and it wasn't necessarily that he was shifted into the grass that was just where he liked to set up right but now with this no cleats on the grass or cleats on the dirt rule yeah um i think that'll be interesting to see that adjustment that that's not a big adjustment right. and someone as talented as a defender as yeah. nico horner is going to make that adjustment just yeah fine. yeah and this is the time to make those adjustments exactly. right like you have the time i think we saw a lot of I don't want to say a lot of. We saw some violations in early on in spring. Mm -hmm. You've seen them decrease. There will still be some in season. It's just naturally bound to happen. But I don't think we're going to see and one every game. Right, and they've decreased by a lot. I think yeah. early on in spring there was more than two violations a game. I think we're down to about one per game. Right. But I also got to think when they're implementing so many things like this, umpires are going to be really strict out of the jump, at, yeah. out of the gate, to make sure that the players, the pitchers, the, the hitters, everybody – is accustomed to it, gets used to it, get gets used to that pace. So I think it was natural that we were going to see more violations early, yeah. just as players sort of saw where the line was, maybe tried to push it, see if there was leeway. And the umps really weren't giving leeway out of the yeah, jump. They right. were like, no, you want the game's going to end right here. Right, right. Um, and I think that's where it's going to get better uh, as it as it goes on, as everyone gets used to it, and as there's more discretion, maybe. Right, definitely. And and so one thing you know, I brought it up the WBC. Yep. That was a big impact that we saw for spring, right? A lot of Cubs players went out. There were Cubs players playing in Japan, Cubs players playing in Taiwan, Miami, mm -hmm. here in Arizona. What impact did you do you think that had, and especially for someone like Javier Assad, who young guy, pitched in high leverage moments, Marcus Stroman was it was it with Team Puerto Rico. What do you think the, the impact of the WC was for, for the Cubs specifically? I mean, just look at Assad as an example when he faced yeah. Team USA. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I remember going through and adding up the amount of all-star appearances, silver sluggers, MVPs, home run derby champions, rookies of the year, right. all-star game MVPs, batting titles. The amount that was in the lineup that he faced for Team USA was staggering. Yeah. And it was like when you clumped it all together, it was like, oh, that's the lineup Javi Assad has to go through? When he's facing spring training, and if he's piggybacking coming in second, yeah. he's facing AAA hitters and maybe right. one or two big leaguers in there. So the fact that Javier Assad could go in there and test his arsenal against that caliber of a lineup, and we saw what the Team USA lineup did throughout yeah. the WBC, that right there is is incredible, and especially for a guy who's competing. You think, oh, man, he's leaving camp. This guy's competing. Yeah. Is this going to hurt his chances? It didn't hurt his chances. It, it might have helped him. That guy might, if he's not in the rotation, he might be in the bullpen because they were like, oh, you can ride 97 up and in on Pete Alonso with no fear? Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe we need to uh, consider you for the bullpen right now. So just on that level right there, it was amazing. Um, you know, it was really cool to see Team Japan have Seiya Suzuki's jersey up, yeah. you know, showing him that honor. Uh, it was really cool to see Marcus Stroman uh, pitching with his mom in mind for Puerto Rico after yeah. defeating Puerto Rico last year. Yep. There were so many little storylines throughout that were so cool. And then obviously watching the way the WBC ended was incredible. I mean, that's you, you can't, everyone joked that it was yeah. scripted, but even the, like, the best script didn't end up like that. Yeah, it was incredible. So I love the World Baseball Classic. Um, I can't wait for the next one, and I think – when you, especially when you talk about the younger players, uh, the Matt Mervises, Owen Casey's, those players, I think the crowd Mervis played in front of in Miami was the biggest crowd he's ever played yeah. in front of in his life. 
Right. This guy hasn't played in the big leagues yet. He hasn't had that second deck on the ballparks in the minor right. leagues yet. You know, he, I'm sure he's done showcase events. The crowds weren't that big. So I think for guys like Owen Casey and Matt Mervis and some of these other prospects to get in that environment um, and kind of just get that mental and muscle memory for what that feeling, ex- what that experience feels like is only going to be uh, paying dividends down the road when they actually walk into Wrigley Field. Yeah. You know, where it might just be a run-of-the-mill regular season game and it has an electric environment. Right, yeah. Marcus Stroman mentioned that, that probably the only place that regular season-wise you can get at least kind of close to that environment is probably Wrigley Field. They're probably right. not off. I mean, not too many places pack out, sell out on a, on a Tuesday night. Uh, exactly. So, so when Owen Casey makes his major league debut yeah. at Wrigley Field, he's going to be like, oh, this is it? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I played a team canada against team usa right and had a packed house and a raucous environment right i've already i've already sort of felt this this buzz right so i own case a great great player to mention because the next question i wanted to ask you some under the radar players yeah that you think could shine for the cubs that could have some success that you're keeping an eye on this this spring and and, and this season yeah i mean i think if you want to go a little below the major league radar right now because there's a lot of guys we could mention there right um I think one of the prospects that really impressed me this spring was Caleb Killian. Mm-hmm. And I think the rise of Javier Assad, Hayden Wisniewski, um, even Adrian Sampson kind of earning um, a look and some uh, rotation time, it's kind of knocked Caleb Killian down a few pegs on the depth chart. Right. You know, and obviously last year he came up and we found out this spring that he was dealing more with a knee issue than mm-hmm. we than we thought. We, we looked at his... Uh, his walk rate, man, he's walking guys like he like he never has. He's not right. hitting the strike zone. We found out that his mechanics were kind of out of whack because of this knee issue, and he's worked to correct it. Right. And what we saw this spring, he looked again like the guy that when it was April and May, it was like, why is this guy not up in Chicago right, right now? Right, I right. mean, he was, if everyone can reach back to, to remember, the guy that all the prospect nerds were screaming about. <laughs> Get right. this guy to, uh, in, to the Cubs rotation. And so I think it's easy to go, oh, he had a bad year, uh, you know. Start you start thinking, is this guy a bust? All this stuff. He starts dropping in the top mm-hmm. thirty lists or whatever the rankings are. And uh, I think what we saw this spring, he should very much still be on people's radar. Yeah, he's, he looked very much like the guy we remember everyone kind of craving to be in the big leagues. And he's not a bad fielder. He made a nice little. And he's diving not play. a bad fielder. It was a great yeah. diving play. Um, so I think he's a guy that's sort of just. Make sure we don't forget that he exists as a rotation option this year. Right, and that's something that's super valuable. I yeah. mean, the Dodgers last year, the best record in baseball, used 10 different starters right. at one point. Like, it's it's unrealistic to think these are our five guys and these are the five guys we're rolling yeah. with. Yeah, and then there's a bunch of minor league bullpen arms Yeah, that just had stuff. Right. And I think Cubs fans have been waiting to see where are these bullpen guys who have who have stuff, who have velocity. Right. I mean, we've seen the, the slider that – Little is throwing. Yeah. Um, Cam Sanders velocity. Cam Sanders throwing this turbo sinker. Yeah. Um, Ryan Jensen was really impressive. Uh, so I think you you see this group. Jeremiah Estrada, yeah. who made a, had a taste of the big leagues last year. You see in this layer of bullpen depth that's going to be critical because you just never know what direction a bullpen is going to go throughout a right. year, and it's huge for a team to know that hey we we don't have to go necessarily go get guys we might have stuff that plays right here in our right. farm system right. that's huge right and that's what jed hoyer's mentioned yeah the off season like that's the goal is ultimately that you can just well, bring up guys and carter hawkins you think back to the cleveland teams that he built and you know i covered cleveland i don't know if you i, I did i don't I, know if you remember see, that. i did not know that and the <laughs> listener might not know that but now they know but a lot of times those teams that they built on the pitching side 
they had like Cody Allen, everyone remembers from the World Series and everything. That was a homegrown guy that they that yeah. they had, and that just when you're talking about building a roster and where payroll comes from, when you can have a group of in-house pitchers that you can summon from the minor leagues and aren't you don't have to go out and pay a ton of money for an, for a big reliever. Right. That's the ideal scenario. So you can you can pour the the heavier resources into that stud position player or that stud rotation arm that you can kind of have a, a factory of stuff coming from the minor leagues for the bullpen. That's what you want to get to. That's what Cleveland was so good at building in their own system. Yep. Um, and I think we're starting to see a little bit of that here under Jed and Carter. So kind of similar thinking as we were we were mentioning under the radar players to keep mm-hmm. an eye out. Who do you think the biggest surprise, or what do you think the biggest surprise will be uh, uh, this season for the for the Cubs? The biggest surprise this year, um, man, that's a tough one. There's so many directions you could go there. I, I think the biggest surprise for me, maybe right from what we've seen in spring, is maybe Nick Madrigal's not a bad third baseman. No, yeah, um, that's been one. Um, I think Edwin Rios could be a big surprise this year. Uh, I think uh, there's some pitchers that maybe people aren't expecting. Like again, Javier Assad. I think he looks solid, but I think he could be a big part of this team this year. So there's a number of directions you can go. What do you think? I mean, I, I those are, to me, the biggest one was Nick Madrigal, right? Yeah. I was very much in the, can he really play third base? He, he, he doesn't, the arm strength, at least on Satcast, didn't, mm-hmm. didn't support that. And I talked to him earlier in spring, and he mentioned, in second base, you can kind of get away with flipping it. So, you know, right, like he, your yeah. arm strength isn't really tested. Or somebody else said, he puts so much spin on the ball when he throws mm-hmm. that it actually can carry across almost like he has a stronger arm sure. than he does. So that's been good. The other thing I've actually liked about him at third base is, again, the shift isn't entirely gone. And so when you move Dansby a little more up the middle, now, again, Nick Madrigal, might, you might not think of him as, like, the rangiest guy in the world. Right. But at third base, super rangy. Right. And so I think if you can have a guy, whether it's him you know, Patrick Wisdom fits that mold too. Even Christopher Morell, if he were playing third base, there's a little more range there that in some of these, um, it's a, it is a shift. In some of these like slight shifts, it's going to play really well. Right, right. So off that, I want to know. I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. Okay. Breakout player for the Chicago Cubs in 2023 is. I'm going to go Edwin Rios okay. as a breakout player. Um, I think this is a guy that through health and through just the pure depth of the Dodgers roster, Mm -hmm. um, the runway of opportunity didn't really exist for him. Yeah. And I think here, now he may not be a, you may not say Edwin Rios is a starter at one of these spots, but he's a guy that has the potential to be in the lineup regularly Mm -hmm. as a starter at multiple spots. Right. On the day that his bat lines up best with the pitcher, he could be at third, he could be at first, he could be DHing. Yeah. Um, I think there's... A possibility that he gets a ton of at bats in a variety of roles, yeah. and if, with finally getting that runway, if he's healthy, I mean, we've seen this power. I think it's going to be really intriguing to see what he could do this year. All right, another on the spot mm-hmm. MVP in 2023. Do you think Edwin Rios falls in that category? Do you have someone else maybe that, that that could take that that mantle for the for the Cubs this year? I don't think Edwin Rios would play enough to to sure. get into that category. Um, we'll go with another sort of comeback guy, which is his former teammate Cody Bellinger okay. in center field. I think if the Cubs get where they want to go, they need Cody Bellinger. Yeah. Not to necessarily be the MVP level player that he sure. was. But somewhere in the middle of that and what what happened the last couple of years, um, I think would be a huge win for the Cubs this year. Yeah. So just and you think about the defensive 
issues that were, happened in center field last season. Yeah. I think they led the majors in negative uh, defensive runs saved out of center field. Mm-hmm. So just by putting him in center field, you're upgrading the defense. And what we've seen in the spring, the swing looks good in a good spot right now going into the year. Yep. Um, so I think if everything goes the way the Cubs need it to go, then he's probably going to be your offensive MVP this year. Okay, then if you're going Cody Bellinger on the offensive side, Cy Young, uh, Cubs Cy Young in 2023. Um, you know, I think Marcus Stroman is the easy pick. Sure. Uh, when he pitched last year, he was really, really effective. He had some health setbacks last year that got in the way. But also, it, I think there was like one really bad outing that he had. And when you removed it, I know, if when you remove the stats, right. you, right, right. you can't do that really. But when you do, the rest of his year <laughs> We was, can do that. We, we can. The rest of his numbers were were outstanding. Yeah. Like top of the, top of the stuff, uh, top of the rotation stuff. So and I think, again, this is one of those cases where if you're going to phrase it that way, what needs to happen for the Cubs to do what they want to do this year, you need Marcus Stroman to pitch like a number one. Right. So I'll go ahead and make him the Cubs Cy Young this year. And what do you think? Yeah, I, I think Marcus Stroman is the easy. I'm, I'm with you. I think Tyone could, could reach mm-hmm. a whole new level with the new sweeper that he's yep. adding. I think Hayden Wesneski's probably – Yeah. I mean, I think right now he's, quote, unquote, the fifth starter. I think by July there's a real chance he could be the, the three starter for, yeah. for the Chicago Cubs. I mean, if Hayden Wesneski does what he's looks like he's capable of, we might be talking about – rookie of the year conversation so i mean it's, yeah that would be again we're talking best case scenarios right, and right. what the cubs need to happen and it's it's stuff like that okay so we touched on mvp cy young's breakout players so a lot of whether it's betting sites whether it's predictions have the cubs mm-hmm. around 77 wins you taking the under on that or are you taking the over where do you think the the cubs season ends on on a win total side I'll take the over. I'm not sure how much over or how much I'd be willing to say. Again, I think there's so many players on this roster that they need to hit the best-case scenario. And I think when you have so many question marks, not all of them are going to end up being, yeah, that's going to work out. Right, right, right. So you got to think it's hard to predict. And and I also think the projection systems, they don't know what to make of Cody Bellinger. They don't know what to make of Seiya Suzuki. You know, they don't know what to make of, uh, you know, some of these young guys that are coming in that are going to have different types of roles. They got more comeback players and Trey Mancini and Eric Hosmer. What would you project? Maybe it's you don't know. Right. 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 So it's it's really hard for these systems that are based on these algorithms to make a, a good projection on some of these players. So I think right around 500 should be the baseline. I think they have the potential to be better than that. Um if they are better than that, then you start talking about a potential playoff run. That would be the ideal scenario. Right. But there's just there's so many cases of we need the best case scenario to hit here, right. and that's tough to do. All right, I know. For for those of you that don't know, you might be the boldest person on the beat. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can't tell by our laughter, that's total sarcasm. Yeah, but I I'm am not put, bold. But I'm going to put you on the spot here. Okay. Give us, give us your bold prediction for the Cubs in 2023. Oh man, bold prediction um, that you'll play soccer before the end of the season. I mean, that again? would be that would be ideal. That would be great. That yeah. would mean my ankles fully healed. Um, no, I'll go uh, one that I, that I, again going back to Edwin Rios. Um, I think a, a good bold prediction would be like Edwin Rios leads the Cubs in homers at yeah. the end of the year. Because okay. I think even in a short sample, even if he doesn't get to five, six hundred at bats, this dude could still launch him. And you know maybe the wind's blowing out in Wrigley this year. I don't yeah. know. And it wasn't a lot last year. Right. 
but I think Edwin Rios leads the Cubs in home runs. There you go. Bold I, prediction. I like that bold That's prediction. That's as bold as I get. I mean, he's a guy who I think it's like around 20% of his plate appearances have ended in a I wrote, home I wrote home the run. other day he's averaged one homer per 13 at-bats in the big league career. Sammy Sosa, over his Cubs career, uh-huh. has the franchise record 12.8. So he's hit – Edwin Rios has hit home runs at a rate that Sammy Sosa did in a Cubs uniform, just to put it in perspective. Right. Obviously smaller It's a very size, small sample size but because of health impressive. And, and opportunity. But it just – when you phrase it that way, it's like, oh, this guy, this guy hits bombs when yeah. he's in the lineup. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be really interesting to see play out. All right. Going to go league-wide. Right. Bold prediction for MLB. Not Cubs related. Can be if you want, but but ideally MLB bold prediction this season. I am still basking in the glow of <laughs> Shohei Otani. I mean, the sun just peaked out if you're watching on oh, video. Wow. So, Dude, so was that perfect? Uh, ba- I'm basking in the glow of, of Shohei Otani versus Mike Trout. So maybe this is recency bias, but that was so cool and so awesome. I need to see those guys in the playoffs. So my bold prediction for MLB is the Angels, they do it. They make the playoffs. There we go. I mean, I think that's a really bold one. I haven't, haven't seen Shohei yeah. with time I'm not going to say win the division. That's too bold. That, 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 that might yeah, be a little too bold. That's too bold. But just, make the playoffs. Yeah. I, that would be fantastic. It'd be great for baseball, too. Yeah. Just, I mean, we also we saw the excitement of that last moment. Man, can you imagine those two guys in the playoffs? That would be cool. Right. All right. Before we, before we wrap up, Yep. last one. Really, really cool schedule in 2023. The Cubs are playing everyone. So if there's one ske- one series that you're scheduling on your calendar or circling on your calendar more than more than the, the rest, which one is it? Besides when PR guru Will Nadal yes. makes his triumphant <laughs> return when the Rangers come to town? Yes, besides Beyond that, that one. Besides I that can't one. pick that one? Yeah, <sighs> that one's off, off the board. Man. As is London. I think London would be. Okay, yeah, because London is the obvious choice right. there. Well, London, they're, they're playing the Cardinals. But there's a series in May Okay. when they first play the Cardinals. I think that's the first time they play yep. the Cardinals. And that'll be Wilson Contreras' return to Wrigley Field. And he has he is seemed to love the role of villain yes. this spring. <laughs> We've seen some of these quotes, especially the first couple of weeks of spring. Those quotes were, were really interesting, got a lot of people fired up. But Wilson knows exactly what he's doing. This is yeah. what he does. He played the role of villain when he was with the Cubs. Right, right. You know, you know. so I, I think uh, shushing the crowd and all that stuff, throwing his bat and the White Sox part almost yeah. into the upper deck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Wilson loves the role of villain. Um, I think he's going to play it well with the Cardinals too. Yeah. So when Wilson comes back to Wrigley, he's going to get the ovation. and the. But he's also probably going to hope he hits a homer and he can do something you know, uh, to to kind of make the moment even bigger. So I'm really circling that that first encounter with Wilson Contreras. Yeah, I think that's going to be a great one. I mean, I think play, the Cubs playing the Angels, seeing Mike Trout and Shohei Otani yep. will be fun. Like we mentioned, the Rangers. This is just an Angels podcast, right? This is this is the de facto <laughs> Angels podcast at this point. But uh, yes, there's there's plenty of series yeah. to look forward to this year. That'll that'll be very fun. We're going to take a quick commercial break. After the break, we're going to toss to an interview that I did with Javier Assad in Spanish for our Spanish speaking audience. Uh, if you if you're not a Spanish native Spanish speaker, you can check out the full interview with subtitles in English uh, on YouTube and on our website. Stay tuned for the interview after the commercial break. Get your Wintrust exclusive debit card. Get your Cubs card. Ooh. Ooh, I'll take one. How much? Actually, they pay you $300. You heard right. Get a $300 bonus when you open a Cubs checking account with Wintrust. Enjoy all perks and purchase with pride every time with your Wintrust Cubs debit card. $300? What? I'll take a card. $300? Oh, $300. $300. 
Cubs. Get your exclusive card at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Only $100 required to open. No monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees. Member FDIC and equal housing lender. Bienvenidos. Estamos aquí en Sloan Park, casa de los Chicago Cubs de, del Spring Training. Estoy aquí con Javier Azad. Javier, muchas gracias por, por tomar un poco de su tiempo para hablar conmigo. No, gracias a usted por tomar el tiempo de, de la entrevista. Quería preguntar, quería empezar pues obviamente con, con el clásico. ¿Cómo fue la experiencia para usted? ¿Qué, qué, ¿Cómo lo pasó? ¿Y, y, y qué, qué, se, qué se va a recordar por, por, por su tiempo ahí? No, pues de verdad que muy contento, ¿no? Una experiencia muy bonita que jamás voy a olvidar. Esperé mucho tiempo para poder representar a mi país y gracias a Dios me dio la oportunidad y, y de verdad que una experiencia única que estoy muy contento con, con todo lo que pasó. Este, el año pasado empezaste en Tennessee en AA, subiste a AAA, Iowa y bueno, entre mucha gente no era, no era nombre grande, ¿verdad? No era uno de los prospectos grandes, pero cuando subiste a grandes ligas tuviste mucho éxito y, y te pusiste a... Ahí todos te, te conocían, ¿verdad? Este, para usted, ¿cómo fue el año pasado? Y, ¿Y pensabas que todo el éxito que has tenido sería posible al principio del año pasado? Claro, no, uno va con la, con la mentalidad de, de hacer un buen trabajo siempre. Sí, yo sé que no era uno de los prospectos, pero eso no evitaba que, que yo diera lo mejor de mí día a día. Y, y claro, mi, mi meta era esa, llegar a grandes ligas. Uh, tardé un poco en llegar, pero... Todo, todo a su tiempo, ¿no? Entonces estoy contento y, y de verdad que, que con ese año que tuve el año pasado súper agradecido con Dios y con mi familia que siempre me ha apoyado y contento también. ¿Pensaste cuando tenía su éxito que podía ser una oportunidad lanzar en, en el Clásico o no, no, era, no lo estaba pensando? No, fíjate que cuando ya estaba en Ligas Menores no, no, no me puse mucho enfoque en eso, estaba tratando de trabajar y y dar lo mejor de mí. Cuando llegaron de ligas empezó a sonar eso y, y, y ya cuando estábamos en, en temporada, pues obviamente yo estaba enfocado en hacer buen trabajo en grandes ligas y, y pues esta, esperar el tiempo de, de, de la lista y cuando pues miré el, el, mi nombre en la lista, pues súper feliz ¿no? de que había llegado el momento y de la oportunidad de tenerla, de, de estar con el equipo. Entonces, ¿cómo, cómo fueron esas conversaciones? ¿Cómo, cuando estás en la lista, con, con Benji Hill y, y todos ellos de, del equipo de México, ¿cómo son las conversaciones que, para saber si, si vas a estar en el equipo? No, ya pues simplemente estaba en boca de gente de que pues, posiblemente estaba en el roce para representar a México. Yo pues estaba esperando simplemente la, la, el día, nunca me, nunca me fui más adelante y nada, siempre estuve esperando, esperando hasta que llegó el momento de que me dijeron, que me hablaban personalmente a mí que, que estaba para salir en la lista, que iba a salir la lista en, en poco tiempo. Y nada, me puse súper feliz ¿no? con la noticia, se la di a mi familia, a mi esposa y todos muy contentos por, por, por la gran oportunidad que me dieron. ¿Y, y cómo, cómo fue la llamada? ¿Quién le habló y, y qué, cómo fue la conversación? Hablé con Rodrigo López, me habló, okay. me, hizo, me hizo una llamada donde me dijo que, que él quería que saliera de él a la, el que yo haya quedado en el roster y que no haya sido algún chisme por otro lado. Sí. Y, y nada, simplemente me felicitó que que había tenido una gran temporada y que ellos confiaban mucho en mí y que, que iba a ser una, una parte importante del equipo. Parte importante, pues sí, en el juego eh, más grande del fase de grupos contra Estados Unidos. ¿Sabías que ibas a lanzar en ese juego o, o era posibilidad? ¿Cómo fueron? Sí, hay un, hay un plan, hay un plan donde me habían dicho que, que iba a abrir Patrick Sandoval y me dijeron que yo iba atrás de él, que eso era lo más probable y, y llegó el día ese donde me dijeron que sí iba a estar atrás de él y... Ah, me preparé normal, ¿no? Para como un juego 
y de verdad que ha sido una experiencia única que, que ver ese line-up de, de equipo de Estados Unidos y poder lanzar a todos ellos son personas pues con demasiada experiencia y estrellas de grandes ligas y de verdad contento. ¿Cómo fue el estadio ahí? Obviamente pues no, no había, no había asiento, asiento libre, todo, todo estaba... Sí, estaba muy lleno, ¿no? estaba, estaba muy bien, estaba lleno, tenía a mi familia, a mi esposa, a mis tíos, a mi madre, a mi padre, todos ellos ahí, era una adrenalina demasiado grande, había demasiada fanática mexicana, la verdad que todos los fanáticos dieron el 100 por nosotros y, y el estadio estaba completamente, el ruido estaba súper grande, ¿no? Era, era un juego de verdad que increíble, toda esa afición y la adrenalina al 100, la verdad me sentí muy contento, ya cuando llegó el momento de, de pichar me enfoqué y, y traté de dar lo mejor de mí y gracias a Dios se llevó bien las cosas. ¿Has estado en un juego así, con estadio así de lleno o, o era primera vez eh, Yo así? creo que estadio de lleno, lleno, sí había estado alguna vez a, a, ahí en Chicago, que pues a la mayoría del tiempo hay mucha gente, pero la adrenalina de ese juego era muy diferente, la verdad sí. que sí, fue una adrenalina muy diferente. Y, y dijiste un poco del, del equipo de Estados Unidos, pero eh, de, de uno a nueve, ¿verdad? Puros, puros caballos, puros muchachos que juegan muy bien. Y usted, pues, el único que le, que le sacó, sacó hit fue este Mike Trout. <risa> tuviste éxito contra toda esa, toda esa lineup. ¿Por qué pensaste que tuviste éxito y, y qué, qué, qué le sirvió bien? No, pues simplemente como te digo, ¿no? Siempre, sea, sea el equipo que sea, siempre me enfoco en dar lo mejor de mí, enfocar en ejecutar los picheos y entonces eso es lo que yo creo que me dio uh, un buen día y que confío en mis picheos, confío en mí. Y sea quien sea que esté enfrente, yo sé que pues, hay muchos jugadores estrellas y todo, pero pues siempre confié en mí, intenté ejecutar mis pichos bien y, y gracias a Dios eso fue lo que me dio, me dio un buen día. Contra Piro Alonso tocó 97 y bueno, muchos de, de los fanáticos de los Cubs no sabían que podía tocar 97, ¿sabías que podías hacer eso? ¿Y, y cómo se sentía cuando tocaste a 97? Sí, claro, el año pasado también me he tenido la oportunidad de tirarlo, Uh, creo que he tenido una buena uh, off-season entrenando con, uh -huh. mi, con, mi, con mi entrenador, obviamente, este Edgar Ramírez. Él me ha preparado muy bien. Este año me quedé en casa con él y con otros uh, compañeros entrenando. Y creo que hemos tenido una, una buena temporada muerta entrenando fuerte, ya sea en el campo, corriendo, haciendo pesas. Y el enfoque era ese, prepararnos bien para poder llegar aquí uh, lo más fuerte posible. Entonces... Uh, me, me, me siento fuerte, entonces, gracias a Dios, han salido las cosas bien y, y la velocidad ha salido también. Obvio, obviamente el, el juego contra Estados Unidos era grande, pero el, el de Puerto Rico en cuartos de final obviamente fue un poco de, de, de más, más nivel, más, más, eh, pues, más, más grande ese juego, ¿verdad? ¿Cómo fue en ese juego para usted pichear? Especialmente cuando entras y, y está abajo México y sabes que, mira, yo... No, estoy, no, estamos, no está ganando México con cinco o seis carreras, tengo que dejarlo aquí para que tenga oportunidad mi equipo para ganar. Sí, claro, no, esta fue otra circunstancia de juego, este, sabíamos que era un juego, pues obviamente eliminación, el que perdía, pues estaba afuera, sí. igual, digo, la adrenalina era muy buena, yo entro y me enfoco, mi enfoque era tratar de mantener el juego cerca ya, estar ahí cerca para poder regresar y, y la verdad que se dio todo muy bien, ¿no? Eh, estuve tirando ahí dos sin y dos tercios, los mantuve y gracias a Dios regresamos y, y pues como veo, ¿no? El juego se dio la vuelta y nos fuimos arriba. Pero lo que ah, para mí, bueno, lo, lo que fue la historia para mí fue verlo ahí en el dogout que estaba celebrando y enseñando tanta emoción. 
nunca lo había visto así con, con emoción. ¿Cómo, ¿Cómo pasó ese juego ahí de, de ahí al lado y, y enseñando tanta emoción de dónde salió? No, pues de verdad, como te digo, siempre había querido representar a México. Es algo que siempre había soñado, se me cumplió y, y, y está en las circunstancias de, del torneo, en unos cuartos de final. La emoción era muy grande, de verdad que cuando picho yo, de verdad me enfoco y me siento bien. Pero al momento de salir yo me sentía un poco nervioso por el resultado del juego, queríamos, 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 quería algo que ganáramos, entonces uh, creo que estaba dando lo mejor de mí, apoyando a mi equipo, ya no estaba tirando, pero estaba apoyándolos y cada cosa que dábamos, una carrera, un hit, me emocionaba demasiado y, y los estaba tratando de apoyar al máximo. Tocaste un poco de, sobre eso, de, de representar a México, ese primer juego, el juego de Estados Unidos, cualquier juego, cuando eh, tocó el, el himno nacional, antes del juego, ¿qué sintió? ¿Cómo se sintió eso para usted? No, súper, súper bonito, la verdad. Una algo increíble. Se siente el, 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 el todo, toda esa gente, más aquí en Arizona, toda esa gente que estaba cantando el himno y poder cantarlo yo y ver la bandera ahí, toda la afición, mi familia, mi equipo. Oh, de verdad que increíble. Se tuvo que pellizcar, ¿verdad? Así. Sí, la verdad que sí, es algo increíble. Uh, una experiencia que créeme que jamás voy a olvidar. Siempre se la he dicho a mi esposa, estaba súper contento de poder vivir esa experiencia ahí, que hayan estado ellos conmigo también apoyándome, era que increíble, algo bonito. Para el equipo, pues obviamente el, el mejor resultado de un equipo mexicano en un clásico mundial, ser parte de eso, ¿qué significó para usted y cómo fue el, el ambiente entre el equipo? No, la verdad el equipo estaba muy unido, estábamos muy unidos, cada juego, cada que terminaba antes de que de empezara, todos estábamos unidos apoyándonos unos al otro, dando lo mejor cada quien de, de uno y, y, y el resultado, pues, pues la verdad que llegamos lejos, ¿no? Uh, mucha gente tal vez no creía en nosotros hasta dónde íbamos a llegar, pero nosotros de verdad sabíamos lo que traíamos y, y dimos lo mejor de, de, de nosotros. Este, el último juego estuvo muy apretado, ¿no? Pero creo que dimos lo mejor, el béisbol es así y de verdad que contentos por el resultado y, y llegar a a semifinales. ¿Cómo fue el, las comunicaciones con tus compañeros aquí en Chicago uh, cuando estabas allá en, con, jugando con México? Porque en el, en el clubhouse todos los muchachos después de que lanzabas todos estaban diciendo ¿Viste lo que hizo Sad? ¿Viste lo que, lo que hizo Javier? Mira, mira. No sé cómo fueron las comunicaciones, especialmente con alguien como Manny Rodríguez o Albert Alza que son amigos. Sí, claro, todos ellos uh, estaban apoyándome siempre. Pues, pues día a día me mandan mis mensajes de éxito y que me había visto, me miré muy bien. Todos, hay muchos que, que de verdad me, me estuvieron apoyando y se siente bonito que, que, que tu equipo de, de, de aquí de Grandes Ligas te esté apoyando aunque no estén ahí, viendo el juego por televisión. La verdad que muy bonito que te, que te estén apoyando. Hemos hablado mucho sobre esta experiencia, pero para usted que ya está empezando una nueva temporada, ¿cómo piensa que le ayudó a esta experiencia para para empezar la temporada. Claro, ¿no? la, la temporada está cerca, me siento muy bien, me siento bien físicamente, este, tengo la confianza muy bien, lo que más importante es la confianza, seguir confiando en mí, mis picheos y seguir ejecutando, creo que me va a ayudar de mucho estos, estos juegos que tuve y nada, simplemente seguir haciendo lo que uno sabe, ¿no? seguir trabajando duro, enfocado y seguir adelante. Relevando, en, abriendo juegos para usted, ¿Tiene preferencia lo, lo que sea? Obviamente tuvo éxito, has tenido éxito en Grandes Ligas abriendo, pero obviamente en el Clásico tuvo éxito de, de relevo. Sí, claro, no, este, no sé qué planes haya todavía, aún no se sabe que, cuál será el plan, pero en lo que podamos ayudar, 
ya sea abriendo o relevando, vamos a estar listos y dar lo mejor de uno para poder ayudar al equipo en lo que se pueda. Si, si puede empezar la temporada en, en el roster de, de, de Opening Day, ¿qué significaría para usted, que para, para su familia, especialmente con todo el éxito que ha tenido las últimas dos semanas? No, pues un logro muy grande, ¿no? Esa es la meta, era mi meta, es mi meta, perdón, venir aquí y, y dar lo mejor, dar lo mejor en el clásico, lo mejor que, que pude dar y, y mi meta es esa, poder empezar arriba. Uh, como le digo, no sé cuál es el plan, esa no es mi decisión, no son, no son decisiones que puedo tomar yo, pero como te digo, voy a dar lo mejor de mí, ya la decisión que tomen, sea estando arriba o no, vamos a seguir igual, con el mismo enfoque. Vamos a acabar con esta pregunta de tener un poco de, para tener un poco de divertido, ¿verdad? Para usted, ¿qué, su, qué fue su momento favorito? ¿Qué es que, cuando piensa en 10, 15 años de, del clásico que tuviste este, este año, ¿De qué se va a recordar más? ¿Qué, qué va a ser el, el momento que, se, que vas a pensar y, y le vas a decir a, su, a sus hijos y, y todos? Yo creo que el juego contra Puerto Rico, ¿no? Fue un juego muy, muy bueno, donde tuve una participación buena. Pude mantener el juego y haber dado la vuelta. Esa emoción, de verdad, que fue un día increíble que jamás voy a olvidar. Creo que lo voy a contar mucho. Este, increíble ese día. Poder detener a un equipo tan, tan fuerte y, y poder haber dado la vuelta una victoria muy grande para nosotros y para toda mi familia, mi esposa, todos los que me apoyaban, de verdad que estoy muy agradecido con ellos también porque siempre han estado conmigo en las buenas y en las malas y, y esta vez con este día que tuvimos han estado muy emocionados igual que yo. Javier, un placer por, por tomar un poco de su tiempo de, de hablar de todo del clásico de los Cubs, un placer como siempre y, y gusto en verlo en, en Wrigley Field muy pronto. Oh, muchas gracias, gracias por todo. Takeaway, you touched on a little bit, but your yeah. takeaways of Javier Saad and, and just how special it was for him, this WBC. So cool, man. And I think what's going to be really cool now is to see how he carries it over for the rest of spring. I think we're going to see him pitch after Hayden Wisniewski in his next outing, and that's going to be that's going to be huge. I mean, they haven't named the fifth starter yet, uh, and there's a chance both Wisniewski and Assad make this team in some way, shape, sure. or form. I mean, I think Assad's performance may have pitched his way very much front of mind for David Ross and the pitching group here. Yeah, very, very interesting to see what happens over these last final days as, as camp wraps up. Yep. Jordan, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Come back anytime. You're more than welcome. We can have bad puns and, and dad jokes anytime you'd like. All right, anytime. Thanks, Jordan. That'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube.